a Bible, if I could encourage you to turn in it or turn it on, if whatever the case might be, to Hebrews chapter 10, kind of in the latter part of the Old Testament. We kind of finished our series in Psalms last week, and today we're kind of doing sort of a standalone thing. We have a series for the fall. We'll start next week, but today just kind of wanted to talk about let's pray for this year for uh, a number of different reasons, for a few different reasons. Part of it was our series in Psalms. Sharon, can you just kill me just for a second? Didn't think any of you wanted to hear me do that in a microphone. Um, For a few reasons, okay, talking about my prayer life, for a few reasons, from the series in Psalms, um, from our core value when we say we believe God answers prayer and from some conversations God let me be a part of, the last three or four months kind of became somewhat of an intense time of sort of assessing my prayer life. In some ways, though, the assessment even goes back farther than that. If you were a part of Central back in January of 2015, you know that we did a series on prayer. And really from that series forward in in lesser ways and intensified in the last three or four months, I've been looking at my own, my personal prayer life, kind of like, how do I pray? And a huge part of that, repeatedly since that series in January of 2015, has been the Lord's Prayer. So to get started this morning, so that you can kind of climb into where I've been, so to speak, if I can ask you, we don't normally do it at this point in the service, but hey, we're doing a lot of things differently right now. So I'm going to ask you, the words are going to be on the screen, would you read with me, and right now when I say read with me, I mean out loud, you speaking, I want to hear your voices, read with me. So would you read these words, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, fairly simple prayer. It's kind of the model prayer that Jesus offered. And I felt like God kept putting this in front of me again and again and again. And it's kind of like, okay, Lloyd, here's the motto prayer. Here's your prayer life. How do they line up? And what I realized is the, the verse 11, I do really well at praying verse 11. I do really well at that. For seven years, the first seven years we were here at Central, we had the joy of owning two homes because we wanted to be real estate tycoons, you know. And so, you know, our daily bread, Lord, we need you to provide some things, became really significant. And I realized I did a really good job at that. But verse 10, I started to realize I'm not so sure that I do a really good job of praying verse 10. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you not to think about my prayer life, but to think about your prayer life and to think, okay, if you look at your prayer life and you look at verse 10, when you're praying... Are you praying for God's name to be honored? Are you praying for God's kingdom to come? Are you praying in your personal prayer life for His will to be done? God and I kind of have gone around and around and around on that. And one night on our vacation, I I couldn't sleep. 
And there was a few different things, and I, I concluded the reason I couldn't sleep is there was a few things God wanted me to get clear. And one of them was, Lloyd, verse 10 needs to show up more in your prayer life. It needs to be something that you need to be praying for. Well, that personal observation kind of then took me for, okay, I'm supposed to pray that in terms of my life, but what about us as a church? And it got me thinking, how am I praying for Central? What kinds of things do I pray for Central? And more broadly, what do we as a church pray for our own church? What, what kinds of things are we praying for? I mean, are we praying that as followers of Christ that God's will is going to be done in our church? Do we do that? We're talking about, and we have been throughout 2016, how do we reboot as a church? And now with what took place, you know, 79,000 gallons of water can do some things in your life. How should we be praying as a church? I wrestled with that. I was wrestling with that before we went on vacation, before the flood happened, and then the flood happened, and so more of it, i kind of been pondering it. And it felt like repeatedly God kind of answered my prayer of what should we be praying for? What should we as a church be praying for? It's like God answered that prayer by taking me to one passage again and again and again. Sort of his prayer answer was to take me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, which is really what we're going to talk about this morning. In a lot of ways, what it felt like God was saying to me was, Lloyd, if Central is going to do the will of God, if they're going to do my will, let me just tell you what my will is. Let me lay it out. Here's my will. So here's what I want you to be praying about. Here's what I want to shape your life. Here's what you need to be doing. In a lot of ways, repeatedly, he kept bringing it back up. That if you and I are going to do God's will as a church, if we're going to respond to what's taking place around us, how do we do this? We do this by praying for His will. Because if we pray for His will, and it starts happening in our church, then that also means His kingdom is going to be showing up in that sense in our church. And if His will and His kingdom are showing up in our church, His name and His name only gets honored. His name gets lifted on high. So we're going to take some time, we're going to walk through basically four requests that I think show up in these verses. Before we get there, I just want to make a quick aside, kind of hit the pause button for a second. Kind of a free survey, and I don't have a video camera, so I'm not going to record this, but how many of you feel like you are great when it comes to praying? Ah, that would make sense. Okay. Service is going to end, Doug's going to come and talk and all that. So one person out of, I don't know how many are in the room, one person, unless somebody else put their hand up and I didn't see it, think they're great at praying. A lot of us struggle with prayer. And one of the things is, if I'm standing up here and saying, well, you need to pray for God's will, and you're like, I don't know what God's will is. To a certain extent, that's very true. You and I don't. But on the other hand, if you and I have the Bible, we have an enormous amount of what God wants to do and accomplish. If you're wondering, how should I pray for my friend? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. All Whatever it is, maybe it's grandkids, maybe it's nieces, nephews, maybe it's that person at work, it's Labor Day weekend, maybe it's that person at work that really irritates you. Anybody got one of those? I'm going to guess more hands are going to go up than one on that. Mike's hand's going up, you know. 
You shouldn't say those things about Paul when he's out in the hallway. I need to speak louder so Paul hears me. Um, One of the great things you and I can do to pray is simply pray verses in the Bible. Do you realize that? Our prayer lives, we can pray the will of God by simply praying the things God commands. Unhit the pause button. Let's talk about what should we pray about. Prayer request number one. What should you and I pray about? Very simply this, I think as we go forward, this year kicks off. What should we be praying will happen in this new ministry year? Request number one would be this. Pray for people to be reconciled to God. I think one of the things God wants us to be praying, not just today, but throughout this year, is very simply that, that people will be reconciled to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, if you'd read those along with me. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, in one sense, that's all meant to set this passage up, but I think in setting the passage up, there's some things we need to get out of that. Now, it probably doesn't take you know, rocket science or brain surgeons, rocket scientists and brain surgeons to tell us that if the book we're reading from is called the book of Hebrews, that there's probably a really good chance the people that was first written to are Hebrews. Okay? Most likely, the people that were the first readers of the book were people with a Jewish background. Now, there was probably some Gentiles that had become proselytes. That was the word used long ago. Gentiles who said, you know what, I see what God is doing in these people, and I'm drawn to that. And so there's probably some Gentiles around that, but they all had kind of a Jewish flavor and Jewish background. So when we come to the book of Hebrews, the, the unknown author, and we don't know who the author was, as he's writing or she's writing, it, I don't know, we, since we don't know who it is, could have been a man, could have been a woman, writing these things, they call upon imagery from the temple, images that the Jewish people, people very fluent in that sense in the Jewish background, would have understood. So he's kind of using word pictures in these verses to, to tell us some things. Now the temple in Jerusalem communicates a, a few different ideas. Okay, We'll have a picture of the temple on the screen here. Part of what this picture communicates, I think, part of what the temple was meant to say is there's something somewhat impressive about God. That's part of what the temple meant could communicate. This, this large structure, big thing, kind of communicates God's impressive. Now, it also communicates, you see all these areas, and this is, I'm going to miss this. We may have to just figure out how to do this in different places. I'm going to climb up on a ladder when we can get back to the building and be pointing things. I mean, this big area here and, and, and over here meant a lot of people are supposed to be there. Okay? So part of what the temple communicates is God's amazing and people are supposed to be near Him. Now, there's some more things the temple communicates. Kind of the next picture of the temple is kind of like a, a cross-section Okay, of sort of what is known as, and you'll see in verse 19, it uses the holy places. So this is kind of the inner part of the temple. Okay, the first room is this first, this way, 
I don't even know which way to point. This will be dangerous. This first room would be the holy place. And then back up here, this is the most, this is the most holy place or the holy of holies. Where my finger is right now, that's supposed to be the Ark of the Covenant. Now this is before the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and took it away. Those of you that have seen the movie The Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is not accurate. It is not true. Okay? I just wanted to clarify that. It wasn't there. It was gone. But this is the holy place. Now, part of what this communicates is that God is holy. I mean, we call it the holy places, and we call it the holy place, and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. That tells us something. God is holy. It also tells us that God is separate from sin. That's significant for us to realize. But that also tells us if God's separate from sin, is that means God's separate from us. That there is something between the two of us. Now some of you, maybe you went on vacation this summer, or maybe at some point in your life you've been to a museum. And you know how there'll be a museum, maybe it's in somebody's house. I think on the Pier Street mansion they have a room like that there's something in the doorway you can look in and see the stuff but you can't go in we might think well that's how this is because we're we're looking in right now but i want to notice some things okay right here kind of some big doors and well right here they make them look like doors too but really it's a thick curtain the fact that that's there you and i couldn't even look into the holy place Okay, our sin keeps us separate from there. We couldn't go there. In fact, if you remember some things from the Old Testament, this most holy place, the Holy of Holies, only one person could go in there one day a year. The high priest could go in there on the Day of Atonement. That was it. And if he went in there, he usually had a rope tied to him in case something happened to him. He could be drug out because no one else was going to go there. Separated from God. The temple communicates all those things. But the temple does also communicate one other thing. Is that the temple there would be these sacrifices. And the idea of those sacrifices is those were things that were to deal and address sin. Which also tells us, you know what, God doesn't want us to be separated from him. We are. But he wants to make a provision for us. So then if you go back to verses 19, 20, and 21 it all of a sudden tells us some things about Jesus. It tells us that through Jesus' blood, through his body, we can be drawn to him. Okay? Mark, if you can pop it up, verse nine, the verses should be there, I think. Yeah. Guess what? It's possible because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we can enter. And notice it uses the word confidence, we can with confidence enter his place. These verses in a large part were written to the Hebrews and to us, the readers that follow. They were written to us so that we would be reminded of what Jesus had done for us. You trust the Lord Jesus. All of a sudden, these benefits become ours. What he's describing here, what the writer of Hebrews is describing, is if you come to the place in life where you turn from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden that temple, instead of it standing, you can't come anywhere near God, is now you can run into his office. 
so to speak. You can run into the throne room of God with confidence. That's a reminder to them and to us. If you've entrusted Christ, it's a reminder of all these things we've got in Jesus. But you know what? It also is a reminder to us of the heart of God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, reminds us that God wants people to come to Him. And I think what these opening verses are a reminder to us in terms of what should we be praying for as a church? What would God's will be? God's desire, God's will, would be that people are reconciled to Him. We've said as a church throughout this year, 2016, that we want to be people who encourage others to follow Jesus. We've said since 2007 that we want to participate in the gathering of new worshipers. We have said we believe those things are statements of God's will for us. This is how we begin to make it happen. We need to be praying and asking, God, would you help us be followers who encourage others to follow Jesus? Prayer request number one, if we are going to live out the will of God as a congregation this year, is we need to be praying that people are reconciled to God. Some of that is we need to pray for each other to realize, hey, help us all to see chances to share Jesus, to encourage others to follow Jesus. Prayer request number one, what is God's will for us? What should we be praying for? We should be praying that people will be reconciled to God. Prayer request number two. A second thing that God, I think, wants us to pray for, that I think is the will of God, is for followers to draw near to God. That we all would draw near to God. Look at verse 22 with me. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now to be technical just for a moment, verses 19, 20, and 21 kind of say, here's some huge things that Jesus has done. And because of that, then verses 22, 23, 24, and 25 are kind of like, because Jesus has done these things, you and I should do this. I love the expression, the hortatory subjunctive simply because it's a cool word in my head. Basically, that's a kind of command where it's, let us. That's what this is. Let us. Here's things you and I are to do. In light of what Jesus has done, we need to do these things. So what has Jesus done for us? Well, the second half of verse 22 reminds us of something Jesus has done for us. Without the Lord Jesus, our hearts and our bodies aren't what they should be. Now, by heart, it's talking about our inner lives. It's saying there's something about us. Without the Lord Jesus, we are, to use the word pictures there, we're dirty, we're evil, we're not what we should be. There's some things that aren't right in us apart from the Lord Jesus. But notice what it says, with our hearts sprinkled clean. It doesn't say go sprinkle your heart. It says it's been done to us. And our bodies have been washed. When you and I trust the Lord Jesus, He does some incredible things in us. And because He does those things in us, then we can draw near to God. It is God's will for you and me, if you're a follower of Christ, to draw near to Him. 
to boldly in that sense, I almost did a Star Trek thing and I am not a Trekkie, you know, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Do you realize you can boldly go into the presence of God? Now I would say this, and I say this, I think this is an incredible sad statement. I know that I have, and maybe many of us have, and there may be some of us in the room literally right now that the idea of going into the presence of God and drawing near is like there is no way. Part of the reason why we are afraid to go into the presence of God is because we don't feel worthy. Or we're afraid we're not going to be welcomed. Or if we go in, we're going to be disclosed as a fake. Folks, I don't want to deny that we may feel those things. And I also don't want to deny that at times we as people project those things onto each other so maybe other people make us feel those things. But what does God say? He's sprinkled us clean. In Christ, our bodies are washed. They're pure. Which means we can, in genuine sincerity, that's the idea of a true heart, in genuine sincerity, we can go into the presence of God. And I am fairly confident that all of us are going to need to draw near to God. There's way too many things in life you and I cannot address, you and I cannot handle. We must be close to Him. To put it in terms we've been using at Central throughout this year, we have said we want to be people who love God. It's going to be really hard for you and me to love God if we don't draw near to God. We have said we believe God answers prayer. I don't think you and I are going to pray like we believe God answers prayer unless we come to Him, unless we draw near Him. And please understand, this isn't about us getting psyched up. This isn't, you know, we're in a high school. It's not about getting a pep rally for a high school football game. Let's go take on the team. You know, let's take them on. I want to be very sensitive here. Our three sons all graduated from North High School. I want to be very sensitive here. You walk down the hallway, they have all these posters on the wall about, you know, we're going to eat the Dodgers. They, they played against Fort Dodge on Thursday night. You know, beat the Dodgers, all these things. We're going to take them out. Well, if taking them out is the same as losing 16 to nothing, then that was accomplished. Okay? So we can be like, well, I don't know. I... Sometimes we can accomplish things on a human level. That's not always what it is. But it is the will of God for us to go into His presence. We need to draw near. And so what I'd like you to do, just for a minute, I want you to look down your aisle, but don't let anybody see that you're looking down the aisle. You know, it's one of those, I'm not looking at you, no. Would you pray for that person this year that they would draw near to God? Because that is the will of God. If we want the will of God expressed in our church, we need to pray. We will draw near to God. Request number three. Third thing, we need to pray if we're going to draw near to God is we need to hold fast to our hope in God. Third request I think we need to be praying for is we need to hold fast to our hope in God. Probably in all of us there are idiosyncrasies. There's idiosyncrasies about myself that I don't understand. Like things like I remember 21 years ago 
in the fall, between November 4th and November 11th, I was given a book by a guy named Steve Farrar called Finishing Strong. And in that book, the first chapter really opened up with story after story of people that you know, you looked at and said, they have got amazing potential. They are going to go and do things. They are going to be so impressive. And yet story after story was, yes, they started with this great potential and it fell flat. It was done. Now you'd think in some ways that's not the most upbeat way to begin a book. But in a lot of ways, it was an incredibly helpful way to begin the book. It is not easy for you and I. I don't think it's easy to be a follower of Christ. It's not easy to, to follow Him, especially when it seems like so many things around us are changing. There were things, if you had asked me 21 years ago when I was given that book, if you had asked me, Hey, Lloyd, what are some values that seem to be very deeply ingrained in our culture and in our society? And I could have probably made a list. And said, yeah, those things, that they seem like they're almost virtually cast in stone. That's, that's sort of bedrock in our culture. And now it seems like hurricane after hurricane comes across and these things that were meant to be there are all of a sudden turned to rubble. And it's like, but I thought that was the bedrock of our society and now it's not. How does that work? How, how do I function in that kind of an environment? How do I finish strong when things that I thought were so dependable are, are gone? How does that work? How do we function and operate? How do we finish strong when we probably are not nearly as smart as we think we are. I've been reading a book called Why We Make Mistakes. One of the things, it's a, it's a psychology book, is they've done study after study. And I, if I get the numbers right, it's like between 70 and 80% of us think we're above average. I am not a math major, but that still doesn't compute. So we may need to change. And how do we change and get things right when everything around us is, how do we do this? Look at verse 23. I think it's meant to be God's help for us. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The way we finish strong, the way we navigate when everything is changing, when things are difficult, is we need to hold fast to our hope. But realize, we need to realize our hope isn't just a concept. Oh, I need to hold fast to this concept. No, what I need to hold fast to is God. I need to hold fast to the fact that God does things. I need to hold on to Him. I need to cling to Him. Part of the way we hold fast in practice, quite honestly, is by trusting this. Part of holding fast to God is trusting the Bible. See, a big part of why we can hold fast to our confession, part of why we can have confidence, is because things have been revealed to us about God in the Bible. 
Now, please understand, we don't trust the Bible or hold our hope simply because it seems like a good thing to do. You know, it's not meant to be a self-help mechanism. We hold fast to the Bible or we trust the Bible because the one who gave us the Bible is what? According to verse 23, he's faithful. The things he has revealed, the things he has said, he does, he accomplishes. They are true. So we need to cling to him. We need to hang on to our hope. Folks, one of the things I think you and I need to pray for each other this year is that all of us would see God's faithfulness so that we would be empowered to hold our hope in a world where everything is changing. What is the will of God for us as a congregation? Part of God's will is that we'd hold fast. Are we going to pray that? Fourth. What is the fourth request? What is the fourth thing that would be God's will for us that we need to pray for? Request number four would be that we would spur each other on. That we would spur each other on. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I want you to zoom in and notice two things about verse 24. We're going to get to verse 25, but right now just two things in verse 24. One is I want you to notice the word consider. Okay? The idea of the word consider there is really a picture of concentrated thought. It's of intentional effort. You're, you're really engaged in your mind. It's not like consider like, well, do I want to go to McDonald's or Taco Bell after church? Okay, it's not that kind of consider. This is a full body, full life. I am really engaged in this. Okay, that's part of what consider means. Second thing I want you to notice are the words stir up. Part of the reason I want you to notice the words stir up is because in most usages in the most usages when this word was used. In the Greek language, it was used in the sense of irritation or provoking. Okay, it was used in a negative sense. But all of a sudden, the writer of Hebrews is kind of using it in a positive way, kind of shining a neon light here. Kind of like, this matters. This is significant. These are emphatic words. If we're going to understand what God is, in a sense, calling us to from verse 24, is we need to grasp that God is calling us, that we need to be engaged in our thoughts, in our minds, so that you and I will be sparks or catalysts to help each other love and to help each other do good deeds. Okay, The only way we prayed this morning in central prayer about being salt and light, which in one sense is descriptive of love and good works, we're not going to do that unless we together help each other by being sparks and catalysts. That requires some things of us. That means we can't just show up at church and just kind of sit there and be passive and go, well, I didn't like that song. I sure hope the sermon's done soon because my stomach just growled. No, that is not how we should come. We need to come engaged with our minds. Engaged. How do we be sparks and catalysts? Now, verse 25 has some more stuff, but verse 25 aren't additional commands in that sense. They are basically 
The things in verse 25 need to happen so we can do verse 24. Two things in verse 25 to notice, really simply. First one, not neglecting meeting together. Almost from the beginning of church, people have skipped church. Do you know that? That's really depressing when you're a pastor. On one hand, it's depressing. On the other hand, it's like, they've been doing it for 2,000 years. They're probably not going to stop now. But you understand the danger of that? It's really hard to have a spark over here to start a forest fire 100 miles away. That's kind of pretty simple, right? If you want a spark to start a forest fire, you want a spark to start your barbecue. This, how many of you made Labor Day? You may be having people over. You're going to need the spark to be close to the fuel or it's not going to happen. We're in a high school. Chemistry labs, you go out that door and down the hall. You can go into a hallway and the lights will come on. It's really kind of cool. Motion detectors. There's chemistry labs in there. Do you know how a catalyst works in a chemistry lab? You just simply put the catalyst somewhere in the room and it'll happen. No. If you want the catalyst to spark a reaction, you've got to put it in the same beaker. Now in verse 25, it's a short verse and it doesn't unpack everything, but the idea of meeting together uses a word that kind of suggests some formality, some officialness to meeting together. Which means, folks, if you and I avoid meeting together, whether it's like this on a Sunday morning, whether it's in a Sunday morning class, whether it's in a small group, if we avoid that or we skip that, Please understand, the body of Christ is going to be hurt. This isn't about numbers. This isn't about, yeah, our attendance is off because of the flood. It is. I'll be very honest. The elders have been talking about this. If you go Sunday to Sunday comparison to a year ago, we are down somewhere in the neighborhood of 20% of Sunday. It's not about numbers. What it is about is for us to be the body of Christ, for us to fulfill the will of God, for you to be a spark and a catalyst in my life, we need to be together. Some of us are introverts and that scares the bejeebers out of us. But we need to be together. Second thing for us to be a spark and a we need to be together, but also we need to be encouraging each other. A huge part of us being a spark in somebody else's life is can we be encouraging? Some of that encouraging can be really pretty simple. Grant, Garrett, and Jody, I want to thank you for singing this morning. I sound a whole lot better when I hear you guys. But not only that, then I feel like I'm a part of something. I did hear the other thing. It was very funny. I had to compose myself. That's okay. (laughs) I had to throw that in there so they knew that I was giggling for a while. And the reason I did that is because everybody next week is going to want to come and sit forward. Because I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it was worth the price of admission. Come on down. Plus, there's more legroom if you're in the front row. I'll just point that out. We can encourage each other that way. We can encourage each other simply by engaging in a conversation after church. Asking somebody, hey, 
what, what was your week like? Or what is your week going to be like? Maybe you can encourage someone by just saying to some of the folks that are serving in the nursery, thanks for doing that. Thanking the folks that are involved with hauling stuff back and forth right now. We need to do that. Let me wrap this up because time goes. Let me make one more point though. Encouraging others to follow Jesus, one of our core values, part of that is telling people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. Part of encouraging people to follow Jesus is saying to a follower of Christ, I want to come alongside and I want to be a spark and a catalyst in your life. I'll honestly tell you, I do not believe I would be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for the fact that throughout the last 30, almost 35 years since I came to Christ, of repeatedly there have been people in my life that have been sparks and catalysts. They've encouraged me to follow Jesus. We need to do that. Let me wrap up by giving you a prayer assignment. We're in a school, so I have to take advantage of that. A prayer assignment this morning. This is your homework, and there will be a final. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, but I won't be the one judging. I'm just telling you, get ready, here it comes. 2016, 2017, this ministry year is probably going to be one of the oddest years for us as a church. You know, I am hoping we're not going to be meeting here much longer but we are going to be meeting here. Show up here next Sunday. We're going to be here. Then at some point, we're going to move back to our building, but we're going to be meeting in the gym, and that's going to be a little different. Okay, just to let you know, if you're wanting timelines and all of that, we're probably going to be meeting in the gym throughout the rest of 2016. Whatever seating we order takes a long time to come. So, Unless all of us want to stand for services, which I think is a great idea, the entire service, we're probably going to be in the gym. Okay? That means it's going to be odd. And I've been trying to process in my head, boy, how do we deal with all these oddities? How do we do all of this stuff? How does this work? How do we do this? We do this by understanding a huge principle and a huge thing, and that is we need the presence of God in our church. We need the Spirit of God to work and move among us regardless of where we are meeting or we will not do what God's calling us to do. And part of what God is calling us to do, I believe, is for us to come together and for us to pray. So I want to ask you, will you pray for people to be reconciled to God? Would you pray that we as a congregation would draw near to God would you pray that we would hold fast to our confession? And would you pray that we would spur each other on so that love and good deeds kind of ooze out of our church? They're in our church and throughout our church and outside of our church. Because I believe if we do those things, if we are praying in that way, then I think God is going to do a work in us where we will be people who love God. We will be people who trust the Bible. We will be people who pray like we believe God answers prayer. And we will be people 
who will encourage others to follow Jesus. I believe those things are the will of God. And as we pray according to His will, His kingdom comes. And His name is honored. His name is hallowed. And folks, there is nothing better for you and me than God being glorified. Because if God is glorified, it will be for our good. Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful to you for your goodness and your grace. You provide for us in so many ways. The fact that we can meet even now, right here, is a gift from you. Father, we stand on the edge of a new year. What are you going to do in our midst? Lord, we pray and we ask that we would seek you. That in that sense, we would be praying, believing you are going to answer these prayers. We are going to believe that you are going to reconcile people to yourself. That, Lord, you are going to draw us near. That we're not going to stand off to the side. But that we're going to come near to you. That we are going to cry that you are our Father. And that we're going to climb into your lap. Lord, we're going to hold fast to you, to your truth that you've shared with us in your word. And that, Lord, you are going to use us in each other's lives. That we are going to spur each other on. That there will be love and good works flowing. Father, may we pray for those things. May we seek you in those ways. May your will be done in our church, and through our church, as they are in heaven. Lord, you can do so much more than we ask or think or imagine. May we dare to pray for those things and have the joy and privilege of watching you unfold that this year. In the very precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.